Welcome. I invite you to find Luke chapter 10 in your Bible. Um, I'm really glad to have an opportunity to look into these things with you today. Um, if, you're, if you're just joining us for the first time or maybe the first time in a long time, um, we're studying the gospel of Luke through the lens of what does it look like to live as citizens of the kingdom of God. And we've been learning all these different things as we've been going through the gospel of Luke, um, picking out what should my life look like if I'm a Christ follower, representing him now at this time on earth. And um, if an outline would be helpful to you, um, there is one in the bulletin. If you grabbed one of those on your way in, it's got an outline for where we're headed today. If you have found Luke chapter 10, uh, we're going to begin in verse 1 and read through verse 20. And before we read, let me just say this about what we're going to read today. What we have in front of us um, is an interaction between Jesus and his disciples. It's pretty lengthy. We're going to see Jesus give a lot of instructions to them about behaviors that they're supposed to display. He's going to send them out to do a particular job, and he's got lots to say about outward behavior, like do this and don't do this. When you're out there, behave in this way and and don't behave in that way. That's at the beginning of the interaction. But what we see at the end is is the more important work of Christ shaping their heart. Shaping their hearts on the inside. He's forming his disciples at the soul level. And I wanted to take a minute to point that out because it's really easy when you are involved in church life and around other people um, of faith and other Christ followers, it's, it's really, really easy as we grow up to have the idea that this whole thing is all about the behaviors that we display outwardly, like doing the right things and avoiding the wrong things. And what we find here is that Christ is really interested in shaping us on the inside, at the soul level. Because you know as well as I that a Christian can, um, on the outside, look like they're doing all the right things and avoiding all the right things, but be very ugly on the inside. And that's a great tragedy, and that's what we're trying to avoid And so what I want to invite you to today is the work that Jesus wants to do shaping you on the inside, at the soul level. Jesus is teaching on pride. That's our subject today. And pride is something that happens on the inside. Is that ever a struggle for you? It's a big struggle for me. And if you could use some additional forming in that area, if you could benefit from listening to what Jesus has to say about pride, um, that's exactly what we have in front of us today. Where are you going to go out and find a book that can teach you how to deal with pride? I don't know where in the world I'd go to find that if we didn't have the words of Jesus to teach us how to handle that issue, okay? That's what's in front of us today. We're gonna start in verse one. We're gonna read through verse 20. If you're able to stand uh, for the reading of the word, I wanna invite you to do that, uh, to honor God's word. This is what we find, Luke 10, beginning in verse one. 
After this, the Lord appointed 72 others and sent them on ahead of him, two by two, into every town and place where he himself was about to go. And he said to them, the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore, pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. Go your way. Behold, I am sending you out as lambs in the midst of wolves. Carry no money bag, no knapsack, no sandals, and greet no one on the road. Whatever house you enter, first say, peace be to this house. And if a son of peace is there, your peace will rest upon him. But if not, it will return to you. And remain in the same house, eating and drinking what they provide, for the laborer deserves his wages. See, he's taking them through lots of outward instructions, isn't he? Okay, this is verse 8. Uh, excuse me, end of verse seven. Do not go from house to house. Whenever you enter a town and they receive you, eat what is set before you. Heal the sick in it and say to them, the kingdom of God has come near to you. But whenever you enter a town and they do not receive you, go into its streets and say, even the dust of your town that clings to our feet, we wipe off against you. Nevertheless, know this, that the kingdom of God has come near. I tell you, it will be more bearable on that day for Sodom than for that town. Woe to you, Chorazin. Woe to you, Bethsaida. For if the mighty works done in you had been done in Tyre and Sidon, they would have repented long ago, sitting in sackcloth and ashes. But it will be more bearable in the judgment for Tyre and Sidon than for you. And you, Capernaum, will you be exalted to heaven? You shall be brought down to Hades. The one who hears you hears me, and the one who rejects you rejects me. And the one who rejects me rejects him who sent me. The 72 returned with joy, saying, Lord, even the demons are subject to us in your name. And he said to them, I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven. Behold, I have given you authority to tread on serpents and scorpions and over all the power of the enemy, and nothing shall hurt you. Nevertheless, Do not rejoice in this, that the spirits are subject to you, but rejoice that your names are written in heaven. Merciful Father, we are so full of sins, but you are full of mercy. With my brothers and sisters, um, we come before you and we don't try to hide ourselves from you this morning or cover up our sin. We place ourselves fully in your kind and just hands, knowing that the ransom for our sins has been fully paid by your beloved son, Jesus. And so without fear, we submit our hearts and ourselves to you today to be further formed by your loving hands. We approach you without fear. We place ourselves in your hands without fear, knowing that your desire is to work good for our hearts and our lives, and knowing that we need this. We need the words of your son. And so we submit ourselves to you and ask you to apply the word to our hearts to shape us today. I am eager and excited for that to happen, for myself and for my friends that I love. And so we ask you to do that work in Jesus' name and for his benefit and for his glory. Amen. All right, please be seated.
Okay, well, as I said, we're learning about pride. The first thing that we see here, and this is the first point in the outline that you've got, and this is the bulk of the, the section, verses 1 through 17, what we see is the opportunity for pride. So we see Jesus' disciples in a ministry context. He appoints them. They're sent out. That's verse three. They're to heal the sick. That's verse nine. That's a physical ministry, isn't it? They're to preach the kingdom of God, also verse nine. That's a spiritual ministry, isn't it? See, they're doing, they're doing ministry, physical ministry, spiritual ministry. They are sent out as Jesus' ambassadors. That's what we learn in verse 16. They are representing him. Whoever hears them, he says, hears me. Whoever hears you, hears me. See, they're his ambassadors. They're representing him out there in all the villages to people through physical and spiritual ministry. And regarding that situation, we can make two really important observations. Number one, obviously, we've been called to the same thing. That's, that's us too, to be out there as Jesus ambassadors doing physical and spiritual ministry. So we're in the same boat. There's something for us to learn here. We're called to the same thing as they've been called to. Second observation is that this ministry context that they're in is the context in which pride is birthed and develops. It's interesting, isn't it, that before they go out, Jesus tells them about the dangers that they're going to face while they're out there. Verse um, 3, Behold, I'm sending you out as lambs in the midst of wolves. That's a, that's a danger. There's, there is real physical danger involved going out and representing Jesus to people. That's particularly true in some parts of the world. There's real physical danger involved. Lambs in the midst of wolves. He warns them of this other kind of danger that they could face. This one is probably something that hits closer to home for us, the danger of rejection. He gets to that in verses 8 through 12, the danger of people not receiving you, rejecting relationship. I don't want anything to do with you. See, that, that may be more of a danger for us when we represent Jesus. Maybe it's not so much the physical danger as this rejection of relationship. But the really interesting thing is that when the disciples return to Jesus at the end of their mission, verse 17, when they return to Jesus, they're not completely out of danger yet. They're with Jesus, but still in danger. It's just a different kind of danger. It's the danger of pride. It may have started all the way back at verse 1. We read that he appointed them. 
he appointed 72, not 73, not 74. You know what that means? Some people were left out, but some were chosen. Can you imagine being one of the chosen ones and looking over at that group over there that wasn't chosen? And wouldn't in that moment, wouldn't it be the most natural thing in the world to look at yourself and say, wow, he sees something special in me that's not in him or her. I have been chosen by Jesus to get to go. And they got special instruction. They got special training. They got special time with Jesus that the others didn't get. They got a special mission. They even got special power. Heal the sick. Can you, can you imagine being part of that group and being invested with a special power to go and heal the sick and have demons be subject to you? Subject to you in, in Jesus' name? Who, who would not have an inflated view of, of self in that situation? I think we get the point. I really, I don't think I need to spend any more time convincing you that ministry is an opportunity for pride. I think the chances are good that at some point in your experience, you have understood that and know that feeling of, hey, I, I, I don't know, but I'm pretty sure I just taught the best lesson on Nehemiah 1 that's ever been taught before in a Sunday school class. Or didn't, didn't I just knock it out of the park with that solo? It's amazing how quickly our thoughts turn to how impressive we were, or how impressive we're hoping that we were. And whoever worries about what kind of an impression Jesus made, so worried about what kind of an impression that we made. So we see these 72 come back to Jesus and give their report. Their report has nothing to do with how impressive Jesus was or the reception that he got out there in those villages. The the 72 are very impressed with what they were able to do. That's what is welling up inside of them. They come back with joy. Can't you just see it? It's just like a, a child coming home from school, being so excited to tell their parent about what happened. They run up to Jesus. They're so excited. Lord, even the, the demons are subject to us in your name. And what were they grounding their joy in? The ground of their joy, what they're rejoicing in is what they were able to do for Jesus. That's what they were rejoicing in, what they were able to do. Now, I need to ask you a really important question. Are you building your Christian identity on what you are able to do for Jesus? Are you grounding your identity in that? On what you're able to do for him? Things like, I am a preacher. I am a teacher. I am a missionary. I lead the Bible study. 
I'm a Christian artist. I'm on the board. I lead this ministry. I'm a pastor. I'm a scholar. I'm a Christian author. Just asking you are, you, are you building your identity on? Are you finding your joy? Are you grounding your joy in what you're able to do? It's a very natural thing to do. We see it happen here in Luke 10, all, all the way back here. Grounding their joy in what they are able to do for him. And we see it in our own lives. And by the way, you know, this ministry is not the only opportunity for pride. We happen to be talking about ministry as the opportunity for pride, but it wouldn't have to be ministry-related. It could be anything that God has gifted you to do that you're grounding your identity in. There are lots of reasons why we might develop pride over what we're able to do. And Jesus addresses it. He addresses the danger that we face from within, the danger of pride. That's what happens in the last three verses here. This is instructional time for disciples. It's instructional time for us. What does Jesus want us to know? How is he going to combat the pride that he sees developing in these 72? Well, the the first thing that we're shown, and this is verse 18, is that Jesus shows us the nature of pride. He wants us to know something about the nature, the true nature of pride. He wants us to know the exceeding sinfulness of pride. It is appropriate and true to say that pride, which we may very easily excuse in ourselves, pride is satanic. If someone asked you to sit down and list the top 10 things that look around you and list the top 10 ways that you see satanic activity around you, where is satanic activity found in this world? What would be on your list? What kind of evils would be in your top 10? Would it ever occur to us to go back and think about what occasioned Satan's fall from heaven? According to Ezekiel 28, it was his pride. Ezekiel 28, 16, and 17, words that were true of the king of Tyre, but were also true in a greater way of Satan. This is what we read. I cast you as a profane thing from the mountain of God, and I destroyed you, O guardian cherub. That's an angel. That's a classification of angel, a cherub. I cast you as a profane thing from the mountain of God. I destroyed you, O guardian cherub, from the midst of the stones of fire. Your heart was proud because of your beauty. You corrupted your wisdom for the sake of your splendor. I cast you to the ground. The testimony of the scriptures is that Satan, who was created good, 
a good angel became infatuated with himself, with his own beauty, his own splendor. God had created him that way, but instead of giving glory to the God who made him, he gloried in his own beauty, in his own splendor. He gloried in who he was. He became proud. In in what I think is one of the most intriguing statements in all of the scriptures, Jesus states, I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven. Pride was the sin that occasioned the fall of Satan. Satan was not cast out of heaven for murder or some kind of sexual sin or for profanity or perversion or drug use or anger, any of those things that we might look around us today and say, this is a sign of satanic activity for sure. And this makes my top 10. Satan was not cast out of heaven for any of those things. It was pride. Pride, therefore, is of Satan. At some point, we just have to get real and be honest with ourselves and say pride is satanic. It has to be. That's the true nature of pride. Someone has to tell us the true nature of pride. Because we're very likely to look around and see the influence of Satan everywhere except in ourselves. When it may very well be that we people who are close to God, like Satan was, and people who are close to Jesus, like these 72 were, are the ones displaying the most Satan-like attributes. Maybe we are the ones bearing the marks of the very sin that led to Satan's fall. He was more impressed with himself than he was with God. Okay, is that true of you? Maybe not all the time. I think um, that may not be our continuous disposition. I think most of us go through seasons where anger and pride and lust just flash they may be greater or lesser at any given time. These, t- these sins tend to, to flash in us like lightning. Lust may flash in you like lightning. Anger may flash like lightning. Not your continuous disposition, but it flashes. And pride may flash in you like lightning. You may do some ministry. Uh, you do a lesson or a prayer. You, you pray in, in public or a song. And like lightning, Pride silently whispers to you in that moment. It just flashes into your mind and heart. It whispers to us, it's you. The gift is in you. Look how much people adore you. Aren't you beautiful? Aren't you wonderful? Pride robs 
God of his glory and bestows it on self. Pride is impressed with the glory and splendor of self instead of the glory and splendor of God. You know, God does give glory and splendor to created things. We see that all around us. God has been willing to give a certain kind of glory and splendor to created things and created beings. Idolatry is where we worship the glory and splendor of other things. Pride is where we worship the glory and splendor of ourselves. And I think the truth is that most of us lament the pride that we see in ourselves. That's the Holy Spirit's influence in us, is that when we see it, we lament it. I don't think there's many of us just sitting here excited about the amount of pride that we find in ourselves. It's like we're not excited about the anger and the lust and the dishonesty and the lack of faith that we see in ourselves. So no one here is excited about it. Everyone l- laments the fact that we have it. The, really, the thing that we really want to know is how can we be put, putting this sin to death? Like what can we do about it? That's what would be really helpful here. We know we have it, but what can we do? Is the answer just be more humble? Well, how do we do that? We've got something really good here. Jesus walks us through verse 19 and 20, what we could call the antidote to pride or the counter to pride, okay? So we've seen the opportunity for pride, okay? It's there, especially in ministry, we've got that. We know the nature of pride. This is serious, this is satanic, that this is something to be fought against hard. And in verses 19 through 20, then we get the antidote, the counter to pride. And let's look at his words one more time. Verse 18, I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven. Behold, I have given you authority to tread on serpents and scorpions over all the power of the enemy and nothing shall hurt you. Nevertheless, do not rejoice in this, that the spirits are subject to you, but rejoice that your names are written in heaven. What is the antidote to pride? What is the Christ-given antidote to pride? Don't rejoice in what you can do for Jesus. Rejoice in what he has done for you. That's the antidote. Don't rejoice in what you can do for Jesus. Rejoice in what he has done for you. What has Jesus done for you? He has inscribed your name in heaven. By his redemption on the cross, disciple, by his redemption on the cross, Jesus has secured your place in God's presence forever. You, Christian, have been redeemed. And that is the great contrast in this passage. That Satan fell from heaven and your name has been inscribed 
in heaven. Do you see the, the double use of that word? That Satan fell like lightning from heaven. Your name is inscribed in heaven. That is the great contrast here. That for Satan, for the fallen angels, there is no redemption. Satan fell because of pride and will not be redeemed. Cast out of God's presence forever. In you, Christian, although God was under no obligation to redeem humanity, that you and me, even though we bear the same satanic mark of pride and being more impressed with ourselves than we are with God, even though we commit the same sin as humans that Satan committed as a fallen angel, God has chosen to redeem humanity. That you do have a redeemer. And that having been brought back to God, your creator, by Christ, you will never leave his presence, ever. Your names are written in heaven. That's a figure of speech. What does it mean? It means security. That is the overwhelming sentiment of this statement by Jesus. Your names are written in heaven, inscribed, unerasable. You will not fall like lightning from heaven because of your sin against God. You will not fall. The fall has already happened. It happened in Eden through Adam and Eve. The fall has already happened and the redemption has already happened at the cross. And no amount of successful ministry can move you one inch closer to God. And no amount of unsuccessful ministry or sin can move you any further from God. The one who is in Christ has their name written in heaven. Eternally, you are secure. Therefore, do not rejoice in what you can do for Jesus. Rejoice rather in what he has done for you. Now, do you think you can build your identity there? Do you think you can make that the ground of your joy? Not what you do personally for him with your life, but what he has done personally for you with his life. Can you bear that in your mind the next time you get up to perform, say the prayer, teach the lesson, sing the song, preach the sermon, whatever. My joy is not in what I can do for him. You can say to yourself, it's my joy is what he has done for me. You know, the world cries, perform, 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 perform. And the the cross states, secure, 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 secure. It is the joy of freedom from performance. It is indelible grace. It is bottomless mercy, redeeming love, and eternal security. He tells them, your names are written in heaven. 
when pride flashes into your thoughts and you become really impressed with what you can do. Let your mind go back to the word of Christ. Make it very personal for yourself. Do not rejoice in this, but rejoice that your name is written in heaven. That's who you are. One whose name is written in heaven. Not what you can do, what he's done for you. All right? Amen. Lord, in the, in the quiet of this moment, we just let the teaching of your son sink into our hearts and take root. Before we run off, we let his word take root. Write this on our hearts, Lord. It's not what I can do for him. It's what he has done for me. Would you help us find our joy there, our identity there, the security that is ours because of the redeeming blood of Jesus Christ, our Savior. And then let's go minister from that strength and from that joy. Let's give that, help us give that gift to other people, just being in the presence of a secure person whose joy is found not in what they can do, but that Christ has done it all for them. It'll be a good way for us to live in the kingdom. And all the glory goes to your son. Pray in his holy name, amen.